presence is available to us. We come before you with surrendered hearts, Lord. Let us lift up praise to him. Yes, come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of his goodness, come and thirst no more. Satisfy, taste of his goodness, find what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only Son to save us. Whoever believes in him will live forever.
Jesus is waiting. God so loved the world. Amen. His presence is here, church. Become heavy burden, lay it down, because all things are possible with our God in his presence. He's in the midst. He hears your heart. We declare truth in this place today. It's just one word. You calm the storm that surrounds me. It's the power of your presence. Just one word. The darkness has to retreat. Yes, Jesus. Just one touch. I feel the presence of heaven. Yes. Just one touch. My eyes are open to see. My heart can help but believe. That's right. There's nothing that our God can't do. Do you believe that? There's not a mountain that He can't move. Oh, praise the day that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Yes, amen. Just one word. You hear what's broken inside. Just one word, and you revive every dream. Oh, yes, Lord, just one time. I feel the power of heaven. Yes, nothing come here and now. Oh, just one time. My eyes are open to see. My heart can help but believe. Yes, there's nothing that I'm today. Come on. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power. Can we lift this up today? Yeah. I will believe. Come on, church. For greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. Oh, there's no power like the power of Jesus. I will Nothing that I got to build this up. There's not a mountain that he can move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing, there's nothing that Jesus can't do. There's nothing that I got can't do. 
we celebrate that truth. There's nothing you can't do, God. We've seen it time and time again. But let us remember that you are in the places in between. You are in every step of this journey through the highs and the lows. Let us not forget how faithful you are. Yes, he's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. Walking around these walls. I thought by now they'd fall. But you have never failed me yet. This is freedom. We believe that in our hearts. Yeah, yeah. Waiting for change to come. Knowing the battles won. Would you declare this in your heart today? For you have never failed me yet. Let us not forget your faithful promise, Lord. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never failed me. This is true freedom. We know that even so, your faithfulness stands. Whatever may come, your will be done, Lord, yeah. I know the night won't last. Your word will come to pass always. My heart will sing your praise again. Yes, you're still enough, Lord.
You are worthy of our praise this morning, Lord Jesus. We remember that you said whenever two or more of us would come together, you'd be there in our midst. And this morning, we thank you that you are our Redeemer, that you are our Savior, that you are our soon coming King, Lord, that you lead us in victory because of your faithfulness, Lord. Not ours, but your faithfulness, Lord. We praise you this morning. We glorify you. God, we recognize that you call us together as a family, as sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters. And we rejoice in that, Lord. We rejoice in that gift you've given us. Church, let us pray together the way that Jesus taught us to. As a family, let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, amen. You know what that means? That means this season we're going through doesn't last forever. We're gonna make it, we're gonna be done. Turn to your neighbor this morning and welcome them to second service. Would you do that? Just say hi to each other. Make them feel welcome. Those of you online, it's terrific to be with you. Hey, good morning, MRCC. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited whether you're in person or online. We're thankful that you're attending with us today. In the next couple of months on the, you know, the technology side of MRCC, some things are going to be changing. We will be getting rid of our church app. So what that means is if you downloaded it from the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store, we will not be supporting it anymore, but we do have a solution for you. If you have an iPhone or an Android, we need you to go to your default browser. So it is Google Chrome on Android and Safari if you're on iPhone. And what that means, what we're gonna do here is we're going to show you how to get our new app on your phone, which is great. It's connected to our website and we're gonna bookmark it to your home screen. So what you're gonna do, I have an iPhone, so that way I can show you. We're gonna go to Safari, and we're gonna type in our website, mrccnow.org, and we're gonna hit go. Now, if you're on Android, it's gonna be at the top of your screen. If you're on Safari or an iPhone, it's gonna be on the bottom of your screen. We're gonna follow this little prompt here. We're gonna hit that button, and we're gonna scroll down to say add to home screen. 
It's gonna ask us if that's what we wanna name it. We're gonna hit add. Boom, it is right there on our home screen. Once we click that, we have access to our entire website, whether that is previous messages, our message notes and small group questions for the sermon from the previous week, any more info, our calendar, anything that you can ask for or need from MRCC is all right there. We're so excited about these changes. And if you have any questions, contact the church office and we will help you in any way we can. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Tyler, and everybody who works behind the scenes to make sure we can stay uh, connected. You know, apps wear out, operating systems change, and so we had to change to keep up. If your brain fogged up like mine has every time I watch that video without my phone in front of me, you can just go to the website. It's posted on there. I'll kind of walk you through. It's just actually three taps of your finger, and uh, you switch over to uh, the new app. They've done a marvelous job of making that easy on the backside, so huge thanks to them, and welcome to you. Welcome to Second Service this morning. Welcome to another week into 2021, which as we all agree has to be better than 2020, and that's a good thing. And soon, soon we're going to move beyond this season, church. We're going to move beyond it. We're going to be able to see all of each other's faces instead of half of each other's faces. And that'll be a mixed blessing, but we'll go with it. So uh, it is, we are going to get to the end of this. I want to encourage you. Just a couple of quick uh, announcements this morning. One is uh, that a week from uh, tomorrow, next Monday, the last January is our next Band of Brothers men's dinner that will happen here in the sanctuary that evening. Uh, everything's provided. Invite a friend, bring a friend. We always have a terrific time, but that will happen a week uh, from tomorrow, uh, not uh, this holiday weekend, but next weekend. And then the, the second thing that I want to say is just, uh, church, a uh, huge thanks to you. And I want to I share with you uh, a number of people, more all the time, um, come up to me and say, Pastor Greg, you know, um, I'm so thankful that our church hasn't dealt with some of the strife and, and conflict that, that our friends have or that our family has and all that. And, and that's because, friends, of, of our, your faithfulness and your love and patience with one another. We're coming through this. We're overcoming this. We're on the backside. And we're going to make it through this wilderness. Way back last March, we reminded ourselves that God never leads us to the wilderness. He leads us through the wilderness. And that's, that's where we are. We're going to come out the backside. We're going to move forward. Uh, huge thanks to all the volunteers who gave up their Friday and Saturday to take a bunch of our teenagers to Northwest Winterfest Camp uh, up north. So appreciation to them for spending all their time. If you see some of our young adult leaders this morning who look like zombies, that's, uh, that's who you're seeing there. So huge thanks to them. Uh, grab your Bible this morning and open it, if you would, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. We're going to continue our journey that we began last week together. And let me begin today by asking you a question. Uh, are you someone who would consider yourself to be ambitious? You know, if I were to ask you, are you an ambitious person? Would you immediately say, yes, I am, always have been? Or, or would you stop and think for a moment? Well, maybe sometimes. Am I fading in and out? Okay, yeah. Um, sometimes I do in and out. Are we good? I never know what Darius is going to do here. What are we doing? Are, oh, we're going to change the battery. Is that what we're going to do? Okay, I'm going to use this. Pretend that he's not here for a moment. Back to turn us on. Yes, we are in. 
Hey, and everybody at home can hear us again, and that's a good thing. Thanks, fellas. Hey, congratulations to them. <laughs> Generally try to see as little of Darius as I can, but occasionally it's a blessing. So, uh, yeah, back to where we were. Are you somebody who would consider yourself ambitious? Or would you maybe say, no, not so much? I kind of struggle to summon up my ambition. Where, where do you fall on that spectrum? Some people are ambitious, others not so much. And being ambitious can be a good thing, but it can also sometimes be a very bad thing. It's good when your love for God makes you ambitious to please Him. It's not so good when your vanity makes you desperate to be recognized or affirmed or worshipped. I love the story that Chan Gailey tells about his ambition getting the best of him. Coach Gailey, if you don't know, is the former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys and the Buffalo Bills and served on a number of NFL staffs, coached a number of college programs. When he was a young up-and-comer at tiny Troy State University in Alabama, his secretary called him in the middle of practice to tell him there was a phone call for him. Jan says, when she called, I was a little bit irritated. I'm like, hey, I'm in the middle of practice. Just take a message. I'll call him back. And his secretary said, well, I know, but it's, it's Sports Illustrated. And Chan, hearing that, he said, I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm finally getting recognized. I'm finally getting noticed. This is my big next step forward. Maybe they'll write an article about me. Who knows? Maybe I'll even get on the front page of Sports Illustrated. So he told the secretary, hey, hold the line. I'll be right there. And he turned practice over to his assistants, ran across the campus, got into his office, picked up the phone and said, hello. A woman's voice on the other side said, is this Mr. Chan Gailey? He said, yes, ma'am, it is. She said, Mr. Gailey, we're calling to let you know your subscription to Sports Illustrated has expired and we want to offer you to take advantage of a special offer at this time, you know. He said, in that moment, I felt like such an idiot. He said, it's easy to get carried away by your ego. And it is. The Bible warns us about it. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But the Bible also promises, and this is important to understand, friends. The Bible also promises us in James chapter 4, verse 10, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. You see, it's not ambition in and of itself that is a good or a bad thing. It's where it's directed, and it's what we do with it. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. In other words, you can't get where you want to go by stroking your ego, but you can get there by humbling yourself. You can't get there by stroking your ego, but you can get there by humbling yourself. This is part of what Jesus was talking about when he made his great promise that, that we uh, are building this series around that we heard last week. The Lord said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Part of the yoke of Jesus is learning how to humble yourself before the Lord because through that, God promises to lift you up, to help you discover what your ambition will tell you it can, but what your ambition really can't deliver on. 
God can and will deliver as we humble ourselves before the Lord. What does that look like? Well, in the second week of this series about the yoke of Jesus, we're going to talk about that. I invited you to turn to Mark chapter 10. How do we humble ourselves before the Lord that he might lift us up? Let's, let's learn about that for the next 20 minutes or so. Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 35, the Bible says this, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, two of Jesus' disciples, two of that inner circle he was raising into leadership. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You know, we read that and it, it feels kind of cheeky, but the reality is when we go to God in prayer, we often come with heart's burden to ask for things. In this moment, James and John, though, make a, a common mistake that many of us make with a Father God, although it's often made from, from mostly good intentions, and that's this. We go to God asking Him to bless our plans instead of asking Him how we can align ourselves to His plans. There's a world of difference between those two things. One leads up, humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. One leads down, a haughty spirit goes before a fall. Church, understand that, that in this moment, James and John are asking for what they think they want and need, but Jesus' reply is going to teach them a lot about their ambition. We go to God often asking Him to bless our plans instead of seeking to align ourselves with His plans. I do this sometimes when I go to the doctor. I am the worst patient. Can I just confess that to you? You know, I go to the doc and I do the same thing most every time. I say, hey doc, I got this problem. Can you help me with it? And, and she'll give me a, a, an agenda or prescription or whatever. And, and I find myself over and over again saying, well, can we do this another way? What if we do this a different way? About a year ago, I had a little heart incident, had to go see some doctors about my heart. And, and I remember saying, Doc, we've got to fix this so I can move on. And she said, yeah, we can fix it, but you're going to have to adopt my yoke for your lifestyle. I said, can we talk about options? Are there other plans here? Are there other directions that we can go? A low-sodium diet is from the devil, amen? Somebody say that's from the devil. Yeah, because, see, I think I know what I need. But she comes offering me a yoke, which is what I really need. We want God to bless our ways very often instead of learning his ways. But it's impossible. C.S. Lewis sagely pointed out that God cannot give us joy or rest apart from himself because there is none. It's in giving us himself that we discover those things. James and John have a, have a sort of godish spirit in this moment. They're acknowledging that, that Jesus is the way forward, the way to success, the way up in all things spiritual. But they're also assuming that getting his blessing on their plans is the key. When the truth is that we find blessing when we get on board with his plans. There's a marvelous moment that illustrates this in Joshua chapter 5. It's beautiful that we sang the song a moment ago. You know, we're walking around this wall as we thought they'd fall by now. Can you imagine what it was like for Israel on about the fourth, fifth, sixth trip around the walls of Jericho? How many times are we going to do this, Josh? You know, we've been singing. We've been doing this. The walls are still there. They haven't started crumbling. Nothing's really going on here. And in that whole experience, 
there's a, a, a moment when Joshua and the children of Israel arrive in front of the walls of Jericho, knowing they're in for a struggle, when they look off to one side and they see another army being led by another leader. And the Bible says, seeing that, Joshua wanted to know, hey, are you on our side or are you on their side? The scripture says that he asked the leader of that army, are you for us or for our enemies? Which side are you on? Ours or God's? And very often, we spend a lot of our time asking that question. Is she on my side or his side? Is she on her side or his side? You know, we look at everyone around us and say, whose side are you on? Joshua asked that question. Listen to what the leader of that army, who was actually an angel leading the armies of the Lord, responded. He said, neither. Neither. We're not on your side or Jericho's side. We haven't come to take sides. We've come to take over. The question is, whose side are you on? And in the same way, God is going to confront James and John in this moment because we find blessing when we get on board with God's plan. Joshua recognizes this. Look at what the Bible says he did. He fell face down before him and asked, what does my Lord have to say? In other words, how do I align myself with what you're doing? How do I put myself in alignment with your plans? You can see the dramatic change in attitude. It's that change that Jesus seeks to bring to you and me. We learned last week that he offers rest for our souls through the submission to his yoke of discipleship, not endorsement of our own plans. James and John don't quite understand that yet, so they come asking for this, this, this uh, ambitious agenda. And like a good parent, Jesus doesn't condemn their ambition. He doesn't condemn it. But he does test it. Look at what he says, verse 36. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. He doesn't immediately say, your ambition is wrong because all ambition is wrong, because it isn't. Instead, he says, what, what do you want me to do? to do for you. And, and as an aside, church, let me invite you to take something away from this moment. Your ambitions, your desires, they're never unwelcome in the Lord's presence. Some of us don't go to God in prayer with our honest hearts because we're afraid of saying the wrong thing in his presence. No, no, no. He welcomes you. Come as you are. Bring your struggles. Bring your understanding to him. And, and what he'll do is he'll teach you. He will correct it when it needs to be corrected. He'll affirm it when it needs to be affirmed. And your asking will become an aligning with his plans. That's what he's seeking. Either way, he'll either grant your request or teach you something better. And that's Jesus' heart in this moment. What do you want me to do for you? Look at verse 37. They replied, and here comes the ambition. Let, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Talk about aiming high. All right? Wowzers. It's hard to believe they even asked that. But in moments like this, a good parent always hears the heart. Jesus does. He knows they're in danger of letting their ambition eat them alive. So he says, verse 38, you don't know what you're asking, guys. You don't know what you're asking. Lots of us need to hear God say that to us. Hey, I know you're, you've got this ambition. I know you've got this desire, but you don't know what you're asking. Let me help you understand 
what you're asking. One of my favorite cartoons, it's a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon. I love Calvin and Hobbes, which is kind of ironic. Our neighbor's dogs are called Calvin and Hobbes. It's kind of a funny thing. But anyway, it's, it's the cartoon where Calvin goes to his dad in the garage and he says, hey, dad, can I have a flamethrower for my birthday? <laughs> dad goes, no, you can't have a flamethrower for your birthday. And Calvin, thinking that he knows what he wants, he says, I promise not to use it in the house. <laughs> you know, in his thinking, there's nothing wrong with the request. But in a parent's heart, with the wisdom of a father, there's a whole different understanding. You know, every time I hear about some 19, 20-year-old athlete or musician or actor or business leader suddenly coming into millions and millions of dollars, I have the same thought every time. I think, wow, I'm glad that didn't happen to me. Because what would have happened to me if that happened to me at 19 or 20 wouldn't have been good, wouldn't have been pretty. Now, if you asked myself at the time whether I was willing to run that risk, I'd have said yes, you know. But I've grown up since then. I've grown up a lot since then. And now I see crystal clear what a grace and a mercy it was that I wasn't given such a thing. Jesus sees with those eyes. He hears their request with that heart. He says, you don't know what you're asking. And almost immediately, the first unintended consequences of their ambition begin to play out. Look at verse 41. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. It's easy to understand why. Nobody likes it when somebody tries to push themselves forward, push themselves above and beyond us. Raw ambition will always disrupt fellowship. Whether it's a marriage or a family or a church, or a friendship, or a workplace, you name it. Raw ambition will always disrupt fellowship. The disciples, James and John, who asked this question, only thought of themselves in their asking. But having asked, immediately word gets out, and now it's not just about them. Now there's this fracture between them and the disciples Following Jesus, as they don't yet understand, is a team sport, not an individual one. And we win or lose together. If you never grasp that, you'll never grow up as a Christian. God tells us in 1 John chapter 4, If I don't love my brother whom I have seen, I cannot love God whom I have not seen. And he calls us to be a we more than an I. We've talked about this before. Following Jesus is a team sport, not an individual. And we win or lose together. James and John didn't know that when they asked. But the unintended consequences of their ambition begin to make it clear. And recognizing the danger here, Jesus calls the disciples together to teach them something incredibly important, to teach you and me something incredibly important. Look what the scripture says beginning with verse 42. Jesus called them together. Notice, he called them together. He didn't say, James and John, you've blown it. You don't get to be part of this meeting. He doesn't say to the 10, you're all bent and upset and you shouldn't be. He calls both together and he said this. He said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, the unbelieving world. You know that those who are regarded as rulers lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. 
It's different among us. He says it is different in the kingdom of God. It is different in eternity. It is different in your soul. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. You see the progression from servanthood, which gets you forward a ways. But if you really want to reach high, Jesus says reach for slavery, the slave of all, the voluntary, willing slave of all. And then to kind of crown what he's saying, he says this, for even the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, did not come to be served. He's the greatest who's ever walked the planet. He's the creator, the maker. But even he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's break down what Jesus is saying here. He says, first of all, he understands the world does things one way. Uh, People lord it over each other. They exercise authority. They seek authority. Those outside of the Christian faith believe in earthly power and they chase it thinking it's the way to win at life. But Christians don't. We seek something different. We know that servanthood is the only kind of greatness that will ever matter, the only kind that will last, the only time that will bring, the only way that will bring you rest for your soul. Let me challenge you this morning. Do you believe Jesus when he says that? Lots of people believe in Jesus. Far fewer believe Jesus. He comes and says servanthood is the way up. And slavery, at least in context, leads us up even higher when it's chosen, when it's willing, when it's a life given like his was. He says, in other words, in the kingdom of God, if you want to be a ladder climber, you climb down. You don't climb up. You know, in in, in the world around us, we treasure leadership and we exalt it above everything else. So much so that we're obsessed with who's going to be the leader. But in the kingdom of God, we treasure followership and we exalt it above everything else. Because that's how love happens. Let me illustrate for you. You know, in our home, uh, Rhonda's teaching uh, kids' church here in second service, but in our home, uh, we, we, we kind of have a game we play. See, Rhonda really doesn't love doing laundry. Not that anybody does, but she really doesn't like all that laundry, the washing, the drying, the folding, the, all that kind of stuff. And I'm not a huge fan of doing dishes. <laughs> Once again, I won't ask for a show of hands who loves doing dishes, because if you do, you need therapy. But, you know... I don't love dishes, she doesn't love So we have this game we play, which is that I am constantly watching, and I do all the laundry every week. And she's constantly on the ball, and always does the dishes and cleans up the kitchen. But every now and then, I'll come home on laundry day, knowing that I've got these, it's going to take me several hours to do all the laundry. I'll come home on laundry day, and I'll find out that she went ahead and did it all. It's all done. It's all folded. It's all put away. And in the moment I experienced that, I'm like, wow. She didn't have to do that. She didn't need to do that. We have an agreement. It's, that's my job. But she just wanted to do it for me. And in that moment, I'm like, wow, I love you. <laughs> you obviously love me. 
And then a little less often, sometimes I'll go in and do all the dishes for her and clean the kitchen, you know. And, and she'll come home thinking that she has all this cleaning up to do, and I've already got it done. Unlike her, I, I call attention to it. You see what I did? But it, it, each time I do that, she feels closer to me. She feels bonded to me. You see, church, here's what Jesus knows that he wants you to learn. And that is that servanthood creates bonds that leadership never can. Servanthood creates bonds that leadership cannot. And so Jesus calls us to servanthood. You know, this is what lies at the very heart of the kingdom of God and the gospel. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, which is the theological center of your Bible, God comes and says, uh, we're leaving the old covenant behind. I'm going to give you a new covenant. He says that to Israel. They're in exile in Babylon. And they're about to return. And he says, I'm going to bring a new covenant. It's what we celebrate at communion. Next Sunday is communion Sunday. We'll be celebrating the new covenant. And here's what God says about the new covenant there in Jeremiah 31. He says, it won't be like the old one where my commands were written on tablets of stone. Instead, in the new covenant, I will write my commands on your heart. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that we would move from, from a, 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 a simple obedience of duty, of doing what's right, to a desire to obey God's commandments, to a hunger and a thirst to seek out and find God's commandments. And that's what happens when Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. He takes my sins away. I realize what he's done for me, and I realize it's a lot more than my wife doing the laundry. I grasp what he has done, that it's eternal. He takes away my sins, and suddenly I am bonded to him by his servanthood way more than I could ever be bonded to him by his leadership. This is how the gospel works. This is how your spirit works. This is how the kingdom of God works. And so Jesus says, James, John, it's not about getting the highest place of leadership. It's about finding the place of servanthood. This is the yoke that will bring rest for your soul. Jesus taught this relentlessly. Over in Luke chapter 9, the scripture says, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Same topic. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a child, a little child, and had him stand among them. And then he said, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he who takes the smallest, the simplest, the least celebrated job, he who is least among you all, he's the greatest. You know, here at MRCC, we have a passionate belief, and that is that the most important ministry we do on Sunday morning is ministry to children. We believe that with all our hearts, and we practice that in everything we do. One of our former pastors, who was part of our staff for many years, youth pastor, executive pastor with us, Zach Cash, serves as one of the top leaders now in the Northwest Network of the Assemblies of God. He holds a post that, that very few have held over time. But do you know what he does when he comes here to his home church? He serves as a volunteer preschool helper at the end of the hall. That's what he does when he's here, because he knows where greatness is found. He knows what really satisfies the soul. 
And if you ask him if he's chomping at the bit and eager to get out of there, he'll tell you absolutely not. He looks forward to it. Jesus illustrated the same thing in John chapter 13, that great moment when he washed the disciples' feet. Here they are at a dinner party. Nobody's doing the least important job, the menial job. So Jesus does it himself. He wraps a towel around his waist and washes the feet of all the disciples. And then after doing it, he says this, I have set you an example, Greg, that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. The word means happy, satisfied, whole, complete. You will be blessed if you do them. Here's where you find rest for your soul. In servanthood. What's your ambition? Is it for leadership or servanthood? Jesus invites you to recognize only one leads to satisfaction. The psalmist put it beautifully in Psalm 84, verse 10, when he said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather serve because I know what satisfies. Church, make no mistake, the yoke of Jesus includes deliberately choosing servanthood in your family, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your church, in your friendships. Jesus promises that if you do, you'll find rest for your soul. Rhonda serves preschoolers. She's doing it now. She has for, for more than three decades. And we joke about it sometimes because, you know, when the kids first come into her class, they totally fall in love with her. Miss Rhonda, Miss Teacher, she's like super popular. But after about a year and a half with them in her class, they grow up and start to think, this is baby church. I want to go to big kids church. I want to get out of this class. And then they don't want to be seen with Rhonda because she's the baby kids teacher. And then... A year later, they can't remember her name. Who are you, lady? <laughs> you know? But she's learned something profound. She's learned that servanthood begins where gratitude ends. And so, for more than three decades, she says, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to serve. I want to serve kids. They don't even remember my name. But that's not what matters. I find rest for my soul. Jesus is inviting us to that reality. And by the way, as an aside, let me encourage you that, that choosing servanthood is also a key part of overcoming sin in your life. If you wrestle with your temper, your lust, your tongue, your lying, your greed, whatever it is, if you wrestle with those things, it is in practicing servanthood that you experience the power, the ever-increasing power, to overcome those things. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 19. He says, Just as you used to offer the parts of your bodies in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, which leads to holiness. You see, church, we can't just not do bad things. We've got to replace bad things with good things. That's where the power lies. And so Jesus says, hey, make it your ambition to be a servant. Let me tell you a story. We're almost done this morning. Colonel Dr. Elspeth Ritchie works at the MedStar Washington, D.C. Hospital as one of the U.S. Army's foremost experts on mental trauma suffered by veterans. You know, PTSD, depression, suicide, all of that. Her entire life has been devoted to helping veterans who were deployed to combat in places like Afghanistan and Iraq, overcome the damage to their hearts and minds. And that damage is extreme in many cases, so much so that most traditional psychiatry doesn't help much 
But according to her, there's one therapy in particular that is, in her words, a lifeline to the traumatized men and women who have served their country. She practices it in her practice. She leads her patients to serve other people. She said nothing so consistently helps and heals them as my leading them into practical serving of other people. That's where the greatest healing is found. No wonder Jesus offers us his yoke of servanthood and says we'll find rest for our souls. You don't know it, but it's what you want. And Jesus wants you to discover what you want. So, as we close this morning, how do you settle Jesus' yoke of serving on your shoulders? Five things, five minutes, and we're done. If you're taking notes, write these down. Number one, the first one, is realize that you have nothing to lose. You know, there's an amazing uh, detail in the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet that gets lost in our rush to get to the end. Listen to what the scripture tells us, John 13, verses 3 and 4. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist and washed feet. Jesus knew what his destiny was. He knew where he was headed. He knew nothing is ever lost in servanthood. So he wasn't afraid of it. He had no fear of it. He could make himself the slave of all, take the lowest, most menial job in the household because he knew he had nothing to lose. And he invites you and I to realize the same thing. Fellas, I dare you, do all your wife's housework for a week and see how you feel. See, that's how I get ahead with the women in the church. It's saying things like that, right? But watch what happens. You won't lose something. You'll gain something. That's number one. Realize you have nothing to lose. Number two, contribute to someone else's success. The Bible says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit and humility. Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Help someone else reach their goal. Make that your ambition. <laughs> this week, this month, this year. I'm going to help somebody else reach their goal. Behave on their behalf and then see how you feel. Jesus says, you find rest for your soul. The third one, choose to serve children. Listen again to what the Lord said. Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he's the greatest. Our dream at MRCC is that every single one of us sees ourselves as available to help serve our kids. Do you? That's my challenge to you. Say, Pastor, where do you want to lead us? I want to lead you there to where you say in your heart, I'm available to serve our kids. I call them. Matter of fact, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something practical in that regard, but hang on. The fourth thing, look for little things. The Lord said this, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he won't lose his reward. God sees the little stuff. When we search only for big ways to serve, we're really just ego surfing. When we say, I haven't got time for little ways to serve because I'm focusing on big ways to serve, God says, yeah, see through you. You obviously haven't learned what Steve Martin taught us 50 years ago to get small. Now I'm dating myself a little bit. but Look for little things. And then finally, the last one is to let Jesus serve you. There's a marvelous moment at the end of that story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet when Peter says, Lord, no, you shouldn't wash my feet. Peter still doesn't get servanthood. 
He still doesn't understand that servanthood creates the bond. So he says, Lord, not you wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, Peter, you have no part with me. When you let Jesus cover your sins with his blood, it creates a bond. It can't be created any other way. Some of us say, I don't want to bother him. I don't want to afflict him. He says, no, let me serve you because it's in my washing of you that we are bonded, that we become one. Realize you have nothing to lose. Contribute to someone else's success. Choose to serve a child. Look for the little things. Let Jesus serve you. I want to give you a challenge this morning. We do this usually once or twice a year. In the seat back in front of you, there's a little card. Uh, we call these our we cards. And if you are willing to say, hey, if MRCC needs help serving our kids for an event, for a moment, for a, a class, for whatever, you can call me and ask. I, I may not be able to because of my schedule, calendar, whatever, but I'm willing to be asked. And by the way, if you fill out one of these cards this morning and say that, you're not saying, I want to be a kids' church teacher for 30 years like your wife. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about just helping out as you're able. If you would make yourself available to serving kids, then would you just fill that card out, mark that box, just leave it on your chair when you go today. All we'll do is we'll put that in a file and when Pastor Allison and her team has something going on, they say, we need a little help with this, they'll call you, you can say yes, no, it doesn't work, does work. But would you be willing to make it your ambition to be a servant of kids? Jesus says there's one practical way in which you can take on ourselves the yoke that brings rest for our souls. Far above and beyond that, take it into your marriage, into your family, into your workplace. Jesus says, this is where you'll find what you're looking for. Your ambition can't lead you there. Humble yourself before the Lord, though. He'll lift you up. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for your word. We hear your clear call to see ourselves as servants of one another, to do what's best for our neighbor, not ourselves. God, help us to understand that this is what our ambition is really for. Help us to hear your invitation to follow you in serving our wives, our husbands, our kids, our friends, our church. God, help us to understand that's where we'll find what we're looking for in our ambition. We pray for that. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, church? Mm -hmm. This is one of those uh, messages that it's easy to let it go in one ear and out the other. <laughs> but if you pull on this yoke of serving, even today, ask for a show of hands, how many guys are going to do the dishes today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you get PR, right? Yeah. Pull it on and watch what happens. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Friends, have a great afternoon.